It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to live and think for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. So it's been an eventful week. It's been a lot of things happening. I'm more than positive that you all have been keeping up with the news and everything that's happening with the election because it seems as though people are now starting to pay more attention to it because it's coming to Nevada, South Carolina, you have Super Tuesday coming up. And so now basically the rest of America and, and other, you know, black people and brown people and everyone else, basically we're about we're about to be acknowledged because Iowa and New Hampshire are some of the whitest places ever in this country. Um, if you go back and you look up the history of those two particular states, along with the history of Oregon, you know, you'll go back and you'll read about some of the white-only clauses and, and within their, you know, their state constitution. And just, you know, just go back and learn the history and get a better understanding of how this came to be. Um, also, if you want to read something interesting, find out how Iowa um, how a hotel owner in Iowa basically maneuvered, manipulated the situation so that Iowa would, would be the first place to caucus or the first place to to be counted in the presidential election. He wanted people to stay at his hotel. And so in turn, what he did is he offered the reporters and, uh, you know, those people, he offered them free long-distance calling, which was very expensive back then. So, um, you know, I know I'm talking to some millennials out there. It's funny because there was a hashtag on Twitter, and it was talking about things that millennials wouldn't understand. And one guy put up, yeah, video games only work on Channel 3. You know, things like that. Put a rotary phone in front of them. They would have no idea. You know, put, you know, like a 14.4 or a 36.6 modem in front of them. Give them the Internet on a CD going back to AOL and Prodigy days. You know, I've been around since all of those days. So it's really interesting. It's funny, but it's, it's just a little fun, just a little fun, teasing the millennials a little bit because they are now of age. And um, it, it's, it's been interesting. The millennials have had a major impact on our culture and our society, not only in this country, but globally as well. So, you know, many of those changes are very welcome and they were very needed. So, you know, my hat's off to the millennials and, you know, the wires and even the Xers who are just, well, I mean, the Zers, not the wires, because the wires are the millennials, but the Zers, Generation Z, Generation X, Generation X gets lost. And I don't hear very much talk about Generation Z either, so I just wanted to acknowledge them. So, today's show, Dear Black Church, Making It Rain for Jesus, right? 
So I said, please join us Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time as we discuss how Michael Bloomberg and Donald Trump are making it rain for Jesus. I reckon that these two billionaires, well, one billionaire and the other one plays one on reality television, can pass through the eye of a needle. So, yeah, I know in the scripture it says a camel, you know, passing through the eye of a needle. But I guess, you know, I don't know. Anyway. While many of you are looking to the hills from whence comes your help or whence your help comes, your pastors, musicians, and leaders are selling indulgences and making merchandise of you. The line between having faith that God will supply your needs and your blessings are stored up in heaven are being blurred and decimated by those who want their rewards now by any means necessary, rewards that they have no plans on sharing with you. See, they plan on sharing the good news with you, and then t- telling you pretty much that your faith, you know, is is the deterrent. You didn't have enough faith for the blessings of heaven or for the window to be opened and the blessings to be poured down upon you, right? So, you know, again, feel free to call in to share the good news about how Bloomberg and Trump are instruments of God working for the good of those who love the Lord, right? Because, you know, what's happening is Bloomberg and Trump They are focusing on the black community, but specifically, they're focusing on the black church and and, and black church officials or, you know, influencers, whether that's pastor, evangelists, ministers, you know, these, these singers and, you know, all of that particular ilk, right? And I think you all need to pay attention and be careful with this because, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but... I want to explain or, you know, add a little bit of nuance to it. And I know I'm one of those people and I'm like, nuance be damned. But there's a lot more to this situation than what meets the eye, right? So thank you guys for listening to last week's show. My last show was Progressive Democrats in a Swarm of Flies. And I told you that this week I will be talking about, you know, the black church bullying and purchasing black votes in the cash flow that is steadily, you know, being flowed and that is steadily flowing in the black church because of the Cheddar Tater Todd, Obama, George W., and, you know, and that's based on the um, faith-based initiatives. And we'll talk about that a little bit and much more because, you know, some of the examples that are out there, well, anyway, next week I'm going to talk about woke white people and basically non-traditional white people trying to get their regular white people status back. And again, that's woke white people and non-traditional white people trying to get their regular white people status back. The week after that, basically, I'll be talking about neoliberalism, how it's failing, and black people and other marginalized communities, people in marginalized communities, their role in helping it thrive. But I also will talk about where it comes from and who it benefits most, right? And within the context of that particular show, I will be talking about white supremacy or white pathology because I can't talk about the neoliberalism and its effects and and why it's failing without addressing that issue. So, yes, I will be talking about, you know, black people and other marginalized people's role in white supremacy and, and how we're complicit in it. So not, you know, I'm not saying you people, I'm saying us, because I am complicit as well. So, you know, to know better is to do better. 
And I've seen an incredible amount of growth for myself and, you know, a number of people that I'm close to, especially over the last 10 years, you know, when we started this show. This show started in 2011. So this is year nine. Next year would be year 10, right? And, um, you know, I have some people saying, Kim, well, you should do this, you should do that. Yeah, it's a lot of things that I want to do. But, you know, again, this year I want to launch another podcast. And that podcast will be very, very specific. And then there's something else that I want to do this year. But with all the traveling and everything, um, I'm going to have to basically do a lot of things in advance so that, you know, I can have it ready. So when I'm out of the country or just somewhere having a weekend for myself, um, you know, all of this will be in play. And so I'll still be able to put that out. And then also, you know, it's, it's just it's a lot happening in my life. And I just want to thank you guys, the ones that have been faithful, that's been listening to the show from the very beginning. And I want to thank the people who may have only discovered the show a week or two ago. Thank you for being here. As I've stated before, we've clocked almost a million listening hours. So that's a lot of listening. That's a lot of support for the show, even the people who don't necessarily support me and the people who, you know, basically uh, can't stand a word that's coming out of my mouth. I'm still listening, so thank you. I appreciate it, and when I put together the new webpage, I will be putting together like a little CGI form up there so that you can go on and send some notes. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I kind of left the email alone and some of the other things because, you know, we do get hate mail. <laughs> you know, you get it in the inbox, you get it in a direct message, you get it tweeted at, just all of those things. And so, you know, after a while, it starts to discourage you a little bit. And so, you know, and it was a number of other things happening as well. But thank you for sticking with me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to the future here. So anyway, you know, there are a lot of things that I can talk about basically just as some filler, but I think I probably need to give, you know, a lot of attention to the black church on this show this week because, you know, they're being influenced and they're influencing, right? And and that's okay. But sometimes it's a tad bit dangerous. And you have people out here who don't know. So I was watching some of these pundits, some of these talking heads on these news shows. And so some of them, black people, you know, they were being interviewed and they were talking about how they had spoken with their parents or their grandparents and they were asking them who they were going to vote for. And many of them were saying Bloomberg as opposed to Biden. And one of the reasons for that is because they haven't seen any commercials, no advertisement from anyone else other than Bloomberg. And we all know that Bloomberg has spent well over $200 million just in advertising alone. Steyer has spent, you know, you know, a bag of money in advertising alone. Same thing with the Trump administration, right? Now, the reason for that is because they have the money. The other candidates can't afford it. And see, and this is one of the dangers when they allow, you know, private funding, when they allow anonymous donors, you know, the black money, and these super PACs, you know, out here with, like I said, 
you know, bags of money to spend. You know, what's happened is they've spent so much money on the advertisements and the marketing and the consultants that, you know, the price tag has gone up. And so the regular candidates can't afford, you know, to, to, to advertise and to market and to get some of the best minds to come in and help them. And in the case of Bloomberg, he's basically – I told you last week that he was offering people, you know, 6000 a month plus medical benefits to work with him, and that range is anywhere between 6000 and $10,000 for consultants to come in. And for some of these consultants, they're sitting around and doing nothing. And what Mike Bloomberg is doing is he's bringing them in so that they won't work for the other people because other people won't be able to afford them, right? So anyway, I was talking about the church. I know I get off course sometimes, but I kind of wanted you guys to kind of get in, and I'll be getting more into that. But um, there are these consultants, these advisors, these field organizers and activists that Mike Bloomberg, as well as the Trump administration, are hiring. They're going around to the black church or the black churches, right, and black organizations and the black community, you know, and they're talking about the goodness of Bloomberg, the Cheddar Tater Tot, and Steyer. But, you know, Steyer is not as guilty as the other two, but he's still guilty nevertheless. However, so, you know, you have them coming into the communities, and, you know, and this being led by people like Daryl Scott and, you know, a number of other black Republicans. And if you go back a couple of years, I want you guys to look this up about how some black Republican pastors were basically trying to force the Congress to censure Maxine Waters because they didn't like the way she was talking about Donald Trump. How about that? And uh, let me see here. What is the name of that article? Because I have it up here somewhere. Okay, yeah, black Christian leaders call on Paul Ryan to censure Maxine Waters call to extremism. So basically they felt like Maxine Waters was being a bit too extreme and they wanted her censured. And, you know, and again, these were black men, black men, pastors that (laughs) basically were saying that this black woman, you know, her mouth was too big. And it's just interesting because I put a picture up, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and it stated that You know, the world, let me see here, black women are considered too loud in a world that never intended on listening to them. And what happens is, you know, whether it's black men, white men, you know, men of other communities, and even some women, because there are some women out here that are more patriarchal than many men that I know. And basically, you know, they they want women to be seen and not heard, just like children. And it's interesting because they'll allow women to speak a little bit, you know, just enough. Why? Because they need black women's money. They need their money, their support. They need their, you know, donated resources, whether it's their time, again, your money, or, you know, access to different things and different people. And so you see that happening over and over again, which is why you have a lot of you know, black men and, you know, other men in the up color community that, you know, 
are trying to hold on to that old traditional mindset. And so this is one of the dangers that I see in the black community as well as the black church, whereas you have these men who are used to dominating and to a certain extent dictating and telling the congregation, telling the community, but especially telling women how to think, what to think, what to do, how to do it, and as long as it benefits them to a greater extent than anyone else, then they're fine with it. But the minute that these black women or women of color, um, you know, decide that they have a mind for themselves, a mind of their own, and that they want to do things their way, you know, that's when you start getting that admonishment, you know, again, the example of the black pastors, you know, upset with Maxine Waters because basically they want you to sweep it under the rug. They want you to be quiet. They want you to just do as you're told. Don't give any pushback or very little pushback, you know, and and, and just, you know, you, you give us what we need and we'll make sure everything happens for everyone. And, you know, you see that happening over and over again. You know, two of the latest examples or two examples that I think that many of you can relate to was the civil rights movement, whereas the black women that were part of the feminist movement were basically given an ultimatum and told that they had to choose between the feminism movement and the civil rights black power movement. And, you know, they were put, you know, basically chased into a corner. And, you know, with the black power civil rights movement, of course, the black men and brown men that were involved in that promised the black women that, you know, that they would address their issues and that, you know, that they were co-equal, you know, partners and, and, and that they were respected. But, you know, most of that did not materialize. And the same thing was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, whereas you had some black men that were coming to the front and, and basically trying to um, co-opt the movement so that it focused more so on black men and on the black men and boys being killed by the police and being incarcerated. But the truth of the matter is black women and girls are being incarcerated at the same, if not higher rates, and it's not being discussed. And again, Black lives matter. All black lives matter, you know, because then we even had issues with addressing the LGBTQ issues because many of these men did not want to address that, you know, and again, you had to deal with some issues of homophobia, transphobia. They didn't want to address the fact that, you know, black trans women are being killed at unbelievable rates and it's not being addressed. And so, you know, as far as the black church is concerned, a lot of this is not being addressed, and it's unfortunate, but yet they want to, you know, hold on to this mantle and, and basically say that, you know, they are the spokespeople, if you will. They are, you know, the public relations experts for the black community and that they picked up the mantle from Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, and, and that Martin Luther King Jr. was representing the black church. The civil rights was representative of the black church and the black community, when that's not true. 
The civil rights movement was a people's movement. I used to say that it was a secular movement, but I was corrected. And when, you know, the um, professor and I had a talk about that, and he explained, you know, why he considers it a people's movement, his, his, his um, definition was very cogent. And, you know, and I accepted that. So I see it as a people's movement because it was an aggregation of different communities coming together to push for liberation for the black community in general. But, you know, there are people, there are figures that, you know, do not get the credit that they deserve, like Fannie Lou Hamer. You have Daisy Bates, you know, um, you know, uh, Asa Philip Randolph, Bayard Rustin, James Baldwin, you know, a number of people that helped to put all of that together. And many of these people were secular, actually. And so, you know, that's why I would tell you guys to go and purchase um, Christopher Cameron's book, Black Freethinkers. He breaks some of that down, and he's going to do another book, um, basically going from the 60s and 70s to now. So, you know, that's something to look forward to. But yes, but going back again to the black church and what's happening is, all right, so you have faith-based initiatives. And for those of you who are not familiar with faith-based initiatives, basically what they do is there's a certain amount of money that's budgeted every year to be given to churches. So these are all churches, you know, whether they're white, black, you know, Latinx, you know, the whole gamut there, right? And so what they do is they apply for these grants. They apply for funding to basically put together programs that will help not only their church community, but it's supposed to help the community surrounding the churches. And this has been going on. It was started by George W. Bush. And so I'm going to go over here to Wikipedia. And I don't, you know, I know some like Wikipedia. Yeah, I still stand by Wikipedia. And, you know, not so much about what's written there per se, because anyone can edit Wikipedia. But over the years, they've had, you know, they've given money to colleges and universities to go in and clean it up. But what I con I'm concerned about and what I do reference are the references in books and external links at the bottom of the page. So I always tell people to go down there to see the references and to go read the articles that are being quoted in the Wikipedia itself. So basically, you know, the, the faith-based initiatives were, it was established by George W. Bush through an executive order on January 29, 2001. If you go to the Wikipedia page, you'll see that's the very first sentence, right? And what happened was, you know, they were handing out money. And when Barack Obama was running for office, he was stay, he stated that he was going to basically um, close it down, shut it down, right? And, and, and he was going to put together, and basically after that, he decided to keep it because a number of black pastors and preachers came to have a little talk with him. And so what he did was he established an advisory council and was supposed to be composed of religious and secular leaders and scholars from different backgrounds, right? And and it was expanded. You know, he expanded the role of the faith-based initiatives. And under the Cheddar Tater Tie, basically, you know, again, <laughs> you know, they're expanding that. And what happened is, you know, in May of 2018, 
he started the Faith and Opportunity Initiative, which is basically um, a new office for them to help faith-based organizations get equal access to government funding. And Paula White Kane is leading that particular office, that particular initiative. Now, for those of you who do not know who Paula White Kane is, Paula White, or formerly known as Paula White, she's one of those megachurch pastors, or she used to be. Well, she still is, because she's like a spokesperson for them, or she used to be. I mean, it's just so much controversy happening with that. Um, you know, many black pastors, many of these black word of faith megachurch pastors felt like she betrayed them when she endorsed Donald Trump. And so there's a lot going on there, but yet they're going to reap the benefits of the faith-based initiatives, and she's going to make sure of that. So, you know, it's just really interesting, but, you know, they're they're tapping into the black church which is like, you know, the main artery into the black community. And, you know, there are those out there, people who are upset with me because I'm not anti-black church. I'm not anti-black Christianity. I'm not anti-black, you know, Muslims or, you know, anything of that nature. I'm not. And one of the reasons that I kind of backtracked and had to stop and reevaluate my position and my my stance on the black church is because, you know, reading and educating yourself and listening to people and then just looking at your situation and looking at your family, you know, that helps you to put a lot of things into proper perspective, at least for you and what you're trying to do and your stance in life. But you know, one thing that I know is that I cannot factor out the black church and black Christians or black religious people out of my life without totally isolating myself, you know. And the way that I hear some of these, you know, secularists, atheists, you know, non-believers, even some free thinkers and some agnostics and humanists, you know, when, when I hear them talking about religious people, it's just so denigrating that, you know, I started to take some serious issues with it. And especially with some of the people that are leading some of these parades, if you will, you know, they come from a very secular background. And 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 many of them are self-serving opportunists. Let's just call it for what it is. And what I see happening, you know, then and now, is basically what some of these people are trying to do is they're trying to – Forge, you know, basically they're trying to create a wedge in the black community and 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 break off the black church and and break off a lot of the support from the black community because you'll have a lot of people in the black community that say that they believe in God, but they're not religious, you know, they don't attend church, but they believe in God, you know, they're spiritual or what have you. You know, and that even extends to other religions that are now, you know, um, old, you know, old religions that are now being um, followed even more by black Americans, especially black women or, you know, formerly black Christians. Some of them are Wiccans, pagans, you know, Yoruba, you know, some of the African religions, they're rediscovering it. And, and you know, these women and some men, but more so women, 
are, again, taking charge, taking control of their lives, finding their own autonomy. And, and what happens is, you know, with the black church, most of which is dominated by black men, you know, black men, black pastors, you know, people are leaving the black church in droves. And so, you know, I don't, you know, I, how can I put this? People are leaving the black church in droves. So you're seeing the empty seats. You're seeing the empty collection plates. You're seeing, you know, churches that once had robust programs, you know, barely having anyone to run them. And many of the programs have been, you know, basically um, um, sheltered or basically they've been stopped because they don't have the resources. And resources isn't always money. And so, you know, I do not sympathize with the black church in regards to them losing members and, and people going to, you know, religions, you know, old African religions, you know, non-religion, because there are a lot of black people leaving the church and actually becoming agnostic, atheists or faithiers, um, you know, and, and free thinkers and humanists and just a number of things. You're seeing a revolution there you know, within the black church in and of itself. And so, you know, to me, and this is my opinion, you know, what you're seeing happening with the black church right now is I believe there's an awakening happening. And, you know, and it's interesting because it goes back to, you know, a dream that I had many years ago. And this is when I was trying to be back a part of the church, right? So this was the early 2000s. And, you know, I spoke to a few pastors about this dream. And basically, in that dream, you know, I saw buildings, you know, so let's just say it was a three-level building. And in these buildings, they had fires. And, some, you know, like maybe the second and third floor, the first and second floor would be totally engulfed, but the building wasn't burning. The fire was just there and engulfing it. And so, you know, interesting enough, you know, and again, this is back, you know, when I was, you know, a Christian or trying to be a Christian again, going back and, and trying to, because, you know, I've been pretty much a doubter and, you know, questioner of religion since I was 11, 12 years of age. And, you know, I tried to, you know, do some of the research. I tried to understand and it just didn't make logical sense to me. And when I would speak to the pastors and to the preachers and, you know, just try to read their materials, it, it made it even more illogical in my mind because there were questions that they could not answer. And so what I did was I started studying with the nation. And, you know, I got my one X, right? And they couldn't answer my questions either. As a matter of fact, they sent some sisters from Chicago down to where I was living to try to answer my questions, and they couldn't. And, you know, that's not, you know, I'm not hurling any castigation or anything of that upon them. It's just that they couldn't answer the question, and I understood. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, you don't necessarily hear me um, bad-mouthing, you know, the nation 
or the church in general because I know they're trying and they're trying to understand. And what we need to understand is that many of the people that are in these churches, they're just trying to make it another day. They're trying to survive. They're trying to keep their sanity. They're trying to keep their family together. They're trying to feed their family, just a number of things. And we have to understand that at one point in time, especially for black women, the only respectable place that a black woman could go without their husband or some type of male escort, you know, or overseer or what have you, was the church. That was the only place where they can go and be free and have and get some relief, if you will, you know, to try to decompress from the stress of life. And so, you know, I started looking at that from that perspective, and, you know, I ended up walking away again because at that point, you know, I had seen so much, and now at that point I'm an adult. So seeing things as a child and questioning things as a child, you know, was one thing, but seeing things and questioning the church and its purpose and some of the things happening in the church as an adult and being able to fully understand and comprehend what's being said, what's not being said, what's being done, and what's not being done. You know, comprehending that as an adult, you're able to articulate it a lot better. And you're able to try to look at that situation from a broader perspective, right? And so I got involved in the secular community. And, you know, you go through these stages, right? And, you know, beginning, you're a zealot, you're out there. You know. <laughs> and, you know, as time goes on, you start looking around and you start seeing the faults and the holes, even within that particular community. And there's quite a bit of it, you know. And I came to the conclusion that, you know, the black atheist, secular, humanist, whatever community is just the mirror image of the church and of mainstream society, right? And when I, I'm talking black mainstream society, you know, the white atheist community is a mirror image of the white mainstream society. And, you know, you have these little subgroups or these microcosms there. And what happens is they organize themselves in the same manner you know, that you see, like, the organization of, like, some of these churches and some of these social justice and community organizations, they they set themselves up in the same way. So you have the same pitfalls. And so what I saw happening across the board is, you know, and again, you know, while I do not, while I'm not against the black church, I'm not anti-black church, I am anti-abuse. I am anti you know, uh, you know, just the negativity, you know, that you sometimes see coming from that, you know, um, it's just, it's a lot. You know, those are not things that I am for, but what the black church stood for initially was helping the community, being of help to the people in need in the community, whether they're, you know, uh, a place of refuge, right? or a resource to help people. And so what I see happening with these politicians, not just 
you know, Bloomberg and Trump and these new politicians, but this has really been happening since the very beginning, is that the black church and the black community has always been exploited. And, you know, you'll have these pastors telling their congregants, you know, across the board, black, white, whatever, that they shouldn't be political or involved in politics for a while. There were many people, you know, many black churches and that were telling their members not to vote and not to get involved. But, you know, people have smartened up their reading and their understanding that, you know, everything that's happening in their lives, you know, is based in politics. You know, even that church, even that pastor, you know, um, is being affected and impacted by politics. And so, you know, with the faith-based initiatives, you know, they're giving the money, but, you know, they also get to make some dictate, you know, some dictates, right? They're able to dictate to the church. And that is where they need to be careful. But see, what's happening with the Cheddar Tater Tot is, you know, the faith-based initiatives are being expanded. And with that expansion, you'll, you see these, you know, uh, organizers or advisors to the president sending folks out to the church and the black communities with these raffles and giving away money and just a number of things. And, you know, in some cases, you know, giving people jobs. As a matter of fact, you know, someone was telling me about someone who just received a $40,000 contract with the Cheddar Tater Tot. Now, this is someone that lives on the East Coast, and what they're doing is giving them a $40,000 contract to go to the West Coast, so Los Angeles, and what they want them to do there is to go and speak at the black churches, at black events, to the black community, and, you know, give away some of these monies and, and things like that, and I didn't get all the details, but, you know, $40,000, um, I'm hoping that's just what they're you know, putting in their pocket, that's how much they're supposed to receive, because especially if you're going to Los Angeles and you're going to have to be up there for a few months, housing is extremely expensive. The food is expensive and everything. But I would think that not only would these people be paying them a salary, but they would be paying for their transportation, um, meal stipends, all of that, you know, and if they negotiated their contract well, all of that should be included, including a sign-on bonus. I mean, this is how you negotiate your contracts, you know, with corporate America and academia, depending on what type of position that you're going for. And so, you know, some of them are just taking a 40 and running, but, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for any of these candidates, but what I'm trying to do is if you're going to do that, and you're going to put yourself out there for these people, at least, you know, negotiate your contracts in such a way that you'll have a sign-on bonus so you have some money in your pocket, you know, from the beginning. You know, they should be paying for your transportation. They should be paying for your accommodations. You should be getting a meal stipend. They should be paying for the car and all of those things. None of that should be coming out of your pocket. You know, but the issue that I have is that some of these people, you know, do not support the cheddar tater tot, and they don't support Bloomberg, but the money looks good. You know, someone coming to you and telling you they're going to pay you $8,000 or $10,000 a month, you know, that's hard to turn down. And so to throw a little nuance into this, and, you know, I'm not one 
to, to be a big advocate for nuance, but I do understand the importance of nuance in these conversations, right? And so basically with a lot of these people of color, black, you know, brown, red, yellow, and even some of the poor whites, what's happening, and this is just my opinion, is, you know, these particular communities, especially the communities of color, you know, specifically the black community, we have been so oppressed. You know, one thing that I want to emphasize to people is, you know, and this has been going around, and this is something that I've talked about on the show when I talk about micro and macroeconomics. You know, American workers really have not received a raise in over 50 years, yet the cost of living and everything else has gone up exponentially. And so we have been living in a depressed state. And so you'll hear these people saying, well, you know, the stock market is great. You know, the GDP growth domestic product, you know, that's looking good. It's going up. Yes, and that's all good news for rich people. While everybody else's standard of living is declining. And so what happens is they have pilfered so much of the wealth. They've stolen the money. Billionaires do not become billionaires because they're smart business people, you know, and and they don't become billionaires because, you know, they deserve it or they had more faith or anything of that nature. They steal a lot of that money. They exploit a lot of people. And what's happening here is, these particular communities, specifically the black community, has been oppressed so much and, and, and exploited that we are in a position that, you know, again, you know, the name of the game, you know, for the last 40, 50, or even beyond that. I mean, ever since, you know, the slaves were so-called emancipated, you know, the name of the game is to basically, you know, secure the bag. And so these people have, you know, we have become so accustomed to having nothing or next to nothing or, you know, scraps or crumbs that when opportunities like this come, you know, people jump at it. They jump at it because, you know, again, they have families to feed, families to take care of, even if it's only them themselves. You know, they, they have goals, they have dreams, they have desires, you know, and, and it's okay. You know, they want to have nice things as well, and there's nothing wrong with that. There should be no shame in being poor. There should also be no shame in wanting to aspire for better, aspire for more. But what's happening is they've created these conditions and these these, these situations for us, whereas, you know, we're jumping at the money, we're taking the money, and yet being exploited even more. So going back to, you know, the seniors and the older black people, who stated that they were going to vote for Mike Bloomberg because they, they've only seen his advertising. You know, he's the only one advertising. That's, that's all that they're seeing, and that's all that they know. You know, you have the ones that are going to vote for Biden because he was Barack Obama's vice president, so name recognition. And this is why we keep voting the same politicians over and over and over, and they're doing absolutely nothing, and that's across the board. But, you know, what they're doing is, again, they're exploiting these people because I doubt if they're, you know, negotiating those contracts in such a manner that I, you know, explained earlier. They're getting the 40 grand and being told to live off of that for a few months in, in California, 
Los Angeles, if they're being sent to Northern California, you know, um, you know, um, San Jose, San Francisco, that money is going to be gone in a matter of a month. Forty grand is not going to last you more than a month or two in San Francisco. And so, again, <laughs> you know, um, how are they going to deal with that situation? But they're going out here, and what they're trying to do is talk to the communities and tell them why. Trump is the better candidate or Bloomberg is the better candidate, while the other candidates basically are being drowned out. Now, I don't feel any sympathy for them because they helped to create this particular culture and environment in politics. You know, and that's why you see a number of the Republicans, you know, even though they may differ with the orange cheddar tot, tater, uh, orange tater tot or cheddar tater tot, you know, they need that money. They need that support. They want to keep their jobs. They want that money coming in. They want that power. You know, many of them, you know, even if they lose their seats, you know, they've become chummy with the lobbyists so they can find, you know, positions with the lobbyists and, and these corporations that they shielded and that they enriched. And it's all a game. And I need you to understand that. But, you know, again, going back to these particular people and, you know, what's happening there is basically, you know, they're trying to cause a wedge within the black community so that they can come into the black communities and just basically take over, take over and, and, and influence the black community. And, you know, with, where we have to be careful is with some of these so-called leaders you know, in in one regard or another, you need to pay attention to how they're going to benefit. And I'm not only talking about local organizers. I'm talking about, you know, people in the church, you know, the people from the secular community, these politicians and all of that. You need to ask, what are they getting from this? How are they going to benefit? And with Bloomberg, you know, that guy there, you know, I saw someone put up the other day, and I clicked like on it. They said if Bloomberg is the nominee, that they're not going to vote. And that's my stance. If Buttigieg, Bloomberg, Biden, if they're the nominee, I'm not going out there to vote. I'm just not going to do it. You know, and let's just say hypothetically, you know, if any of the other candidates are the nominee and they make Buttigieg their VP, you know, I'm towing the line. I'm trying to decide it because, you know, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous, you know, what's happening there. And so, you know, I, I need for you guys to understand what's happening right here, especially with Bloomberg and what he's trying to do. You know, you know, it's coming out about his stop and frisk and about how, you know, even up until, you know, recently in the past couple of years, you know, as hell, last year, 2019, he gave a, a speech talking about the stop and frisk and how he was, you know, an advocate for it. And then all of a sudden when he saw the damage it was doing to the black and brown community, you know, he scaled it back 95%. But what he fails to tell you is that he increased it by sevenfold and then decreased it by 95%. You know, 
you know, the number of stop and frisk incidents with black men outnumbered the total number of black men living in New York City at that time. So people were being constantly harassed. And so Benjamin Dixon was on Twitter, and he's the one that brought out that talk in which Bloomberg was basically saying that, you know, you just take a picture of some black and brown men or boys, Xerox it, and just send it out to all the police agencies and just pull them over, you know, because basically he felt like all black and brown men and boys were suspect. And so that's what they were doing, you know, up there. And so it was a hashtag, and I'm looking for that right here, but it was Benjamin Dixon. And basically, okay, the hashtag was my Bloomberg story, hashtag my Bloomberg stories or story. And Twitter users were, you know, sharing their stories with stop and frisk. This one young man said that they used to stop him almost every day, that he dropped out of school because he got tired of being harassed. And, you know, a number of other things, you know, you were paying attention, you hear what Bloomberg was talking about redlining. And he was blaming the, com- the, 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 the communities that were most affected by it which were black and brown communities. Black and brown communities lost over 70% of their wealth in the mortgage bust, you know, because there were loans targeting specifically black and brown communities. That's why Wells Fargo and a number of other banks, you know, had to pay those, you know, fines because they were targeting black and brown people with these loans, and then they were, you know, these worthless pieces of paper were being traded publicly on a stock market, and 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 people lost their wealth, people lost their homes, you know, people, it, it, it was just horrible, and those people, the people of Main Street, if you will, were not being assisted, they were not being helped, they were being penalized, and now they're being, you know, vilified and pilloried by Bloomberg and being told that it was their fault that we had that that you know that mortgage bust and 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 then he was advocating for redlining and for those of you who are not familiar with redlining basically what they do is they they redline certain communities and say that the people in those communities are not necessarily worthy of mortgages and home loans and if they do give them the mortgages and home loans the interest rate is a lot higher and then also you had the issues with the lease to own or buy to own homes in which black and brown people were being taken advantage of as well. And that's happening even now today. You know, this this is not something of the past. This is something that is ongoing. And it's really important for you guys to go and understand because I remember in the early 2000s, going into the mid-2000s, even a little bit beyond that, I remember, you know, watching different churches on television, you know, the church that I was attending, which was, you know, a Word of Faith church. I know that's why I have, that's why, you know, I sit back and I talk about them and some of these other churches because I've been in them. But not only have I been in them, I've been studying them for a while. And, you know, you hear different people in the church, you know, oh, well, so and sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, you know, they're, they're real estate brokers or they're mortgage brokers or the pastor's wife 
had a you know a real estate brokerage firm or a mortgage brokerage firm, and they were making a lot of money. As well as I don't know if you all remember this, but you know there was a scam going through the black church as far as investment. So you know they kind of had their own you know black Bernie Madoff scheme happening. Um, you know Eddie Long. This was before the allegations with those young men. You know, he was involved in that, and, you know, many of the members of Newburgh were, you know, um, victimized by these different scams. And, you know, that's just only two. There are a number of other things happening and going through the church. And, again, I need for you all to understand that these church leaders and, you know, the pastors, the ministers, those that are, you know, the pastor's cronies, within that particular circle of people, they benefit financially from this. And even with the faith-based initiatives, and, and especially with the Cheddar Tater Tot, and this particular administration, what's happening is they've relaxed you know, the Johnson Amendment, so that's why they can preach politics from the pulpit. But not only that, the IRS oversight has been relaxed as well. There is already very little oversight of these 501c3s, you know, these churches, but it's virtually no oversight now, and that's being done for a reason. And this is important for you guys to understand because, you know, these blessings, you know, this, you know, these blessings that's pouring out of this open window is not making it to the congregation is making it to the pastor and his cronies, you know, his inner circle. They're the ones being enriched by this. And I need for you guys to understand, you know, how you're being exploited and used. And that's what's happening with, you know, the Cheddar Tater Tot and his advisors coming out to the communities and extolling, you know, all of these virtues of the Cheddar Tater Tot in this administration. And there are a lot of lies being told. But what you need to understand is, you know, what you need to understand is that many of these leaders do not necessarily have your best interest at heart. The black church now is a lot different than the black church of yesteryear, you know, um, and even then, you know, after emancipation and even when black people were enslaved in this country, you know, you had black churches, you know, but the white pastors, you know, white overseers and masters, you know, were telling the black preachers what to preach and what to teach and what not to touch on. So it was, you know, a mechanism of control. And that's what's happening now. And, you know, if you want to call in and join in the conversation, 310 9824273 again that's 3109824273 and press 1 to talk i see a few people here and if you want to talk you have to press 1 otherwise i just think you're listening but it's important for you guys to understand that but in addition to expanding faith based initiatives and giving more money to these churches and relaxing all of these rules again they are now allowing these churches to be to be used as political action committees, to form political action committees. And it's not only the churches, but you have a lot of these organizations and, and people who call themselves evangelists and ministers independent of a church. You know, they're starting these political action committees, and the money is starting to flow through with even more money 
And what happens is, you know, basically they're, you know, these these ministers and these leaders and certain members of the church, they're being bought and paid for. And I need you to understand what they're doing. You know, they're purchasing your votes in a roundabout kind of way. You know, Yang was doing the same thing. If you vote for him, he'll make sure you get an extra thousand dollars a month. You know, and, you know, and I understand UBI, universal basic, you know, income. I understand the premise in that. And I understand the good that that would be for, you know, individuals and families and the economy. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not condemning that per se, but I'm just saying the way that this is looking, the way that this is being set up. And because our communities, again, that have been so oppressed and exploited and manipulated and forgotten about and disregarded that, you know, many of us are in dire straits. And we've been taught, and this has been pounded in our heads, secure the bag. So people are taking the money and they're running. There are so many black mayors and, you know, even members of the Congressional Black Caucus that are now supporting Bloomberg because Bloomberg has fed money into their communities. And, you know, and I know some of you are like, well, you know, um, well, Kim, you know, they needed the money. They needed the money for their communities for these specific programs that they were trying to put in place, you know, um, jobs for the youth for the summer. I understand all of that. However, what I don't understand is the money that's being passed down from the federal government to the states. And the states are supposed to distribute that money, and the states are supposed to inform and create and fund these particular programs. You know, why is that not happening? Why are, you know, these mayors in these cities depending on money from a billionaire, from a private donor? And these are questions that you should be asking because, again, you have these people coming into the communities and making it rain, if you will. And now, and, and you know, again, that's with, you know, the, the, the elected officials and now the black church, and they're making it rain. You need to be asking why. And how does that impact you? But I want you to look at the bigger picture, too. They're going to give them that money now, but are they going to make any changes to the structural racism, you know, the policies and the laws that are on the books that keep us in this position? Because this is not done by accident. And this is why I point to the Democratic Party. And I, you know, and, and you know, I'm ready to start screaming genocide. Because that's pretty much what they're doing. They're killing our communities. They have absolutely no interest in changing a lot of these laws and policies, and that's the Republicans too. But what I'm trying to get you guys to understand is that, you know, people look at the president and, you know, they were like, well, why haven't you made this change? Why haven't you made that change? The people you should really be looking at are your local officials, your state officials, as well as your, you know, congressional representatives and senators. They're the ones that create and make legislation and pass it. And they're not doing that. So all the promises that have been made to the black communities and other communities of color, you know, they make all these promises like they're making now. And then they get in office and give us the middle finger and don't don't remember us, just totally forget about us until it's time for them to run for an office. And this is why I'm at this point that I would rather watch the damn house burn than to go out there and continue to play this little game. You know, and, and you know, I have my reasons for that, and I've stated some of them. 
But I need for you guys to pay attention to what's happening because, you know, these people are being bought off. Their influence is being purchased. And so, again, that's when I was talking about, you know, you being made merchandise. You know, they talk about that in the Bible. And that's what's happening with a lot of these pastors and these church leaders. You know, they have made merchandise of their congregation. They are leveraging you. They're hedging their bets, if you will. And you need to understand where you stand in that scenario because they do not plan on sharing, you know, the majority of that money with you. You know, they're still going to collect for the building fund every every Sunday. They're still going to try to compel you to pay your tithes and offerings. And for those of you that are out there tithing, you should stop. And there are reasons for that. And I may do a show, may, we may do a tithing Black Freethinkers Bible study. And, you know, and we'll talk about that, about tithing. And, and, you know, if I'm going to use the Bible, tell you why tithing is you know, um, shouldn't be happening. But anyway, um, you know, you have Michael Bloomberg, who's a Republican that's running as a Democrat. Just pay attention to how he was governing New York City and how it was supposed to be two terms. And he basically went in and then put the fix in and received a third term. Who's to say that he won't do that as the president of the United States? You know, they even have Donald Trump, you know, the cheddar tater tot, you know, uh, thinking about the same thing, right? You know, and so, again, they've already, you know, torn up the Constitution. They don't give a damn about that. They never have. I mean, if we're going to be truthful about the situation, they never have. But what I'm saying is I want you to be informed about what's happening out here, how you're being used, why they're trying to create these wedges, and what they're trying to do, and how they're trying to, because as I've stated before, I feel as though the church is one of the very last vestiges that is helping to shield us somewhat from the onslaught of full, unmitigated white supremacist attacks in this country. And I posted an article about how some of these churches now, you know, the deacons and some of the members and the pastor, how they're arming themselves. I mean, they don't give a damn about coming into the churches and shooting up the whole congregation. You know, how are these people going to protect you from that? How are they going to enforce these hate crimes, these hate laws on the books to charge these people? You know, they still won't call them domestic terrorists even though they're claiming that they now see these white, you know, um, supremacist group, white nationalist group, these alt-righters, they see them as being as dangerous as ISIS, but I don't believe that. I believe it's all talk. But I want you to do your research on Michael Bloomberg and some of the racist things that he's done and that, you know, things that he said that's come out of his community you know, out of his mouth and, you know, out of his particular, you know, administration because, you know, he's not doing this alone. He has a lot of help and there are a lot of people that are benefiting from this. But I need you to pay attention to the people that are benefiting the most that look like you and me and and how these lines are being blurred. And, I mean, I want you to pay attention 
to how many of these sermons have changed and how some of these churches have changed. You know, I've seen so many pastors out here when they're praying or they're talking to their congregation or even just in, you know, one-on-one conversation, how they're praying for God to turn their church into a megachurch. They want to be a prosperity pastor, prosperity gospel pastor, and many of them are, you know, teaching it. And what's interesting, some of the people that have come from traditional churches who used to condemn the prosperity gospel and and these mega churches and say that they were con artists, now I see them putting up quotes from Creflo and TD, and I'm like, what in the name? And see, you know, you need to pay attention. The message has changed. And they're exploiting that. You know, you're being even further exploited by these church leaders and these musicians. That's why I couldn't really get behind Kirk Franklin when he got angry about that white guy that owned, you know, the Word Network. And then you have a number of other ones out there that, you know, a lot of these black preachers and musicians, you know, they chomp at the bit to be on these particular programs. And in many cases, you know, some of you all may not know this, some of these people pay to be on these programs because they know if they get more exposure, they'll have more people sending money in. So you got to remember your pastors and, you know, your ministers in many cases, not all, because, you know, you know, there are some exceptions, these small and these medium sized churches, many of them don't get the same type of, you know, the marketing and advertising exposure. But not only are these megachurch pastors and some of these larger church pastors and these ministers and musicians, they're not only getting money from the people that come to their churches or their concerts, they're getting money from people who are just sending it in because these people believe that these, you know, folks are going out and preaching the word. Take a look at what's happening in Africa you know, they, they, they're going over there now. They've established ministries and, and all of that in Africa to exploit those people as well. And so, again, when it comes to these politicians, you know, they know who they need to speak to. So when something happens, something horrific happens in, you know, the black and brown communities, the first people they go running to are the pastors in these, these you know, so-called leaders, Right. And you have people like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and, you know, and folks like that, that, you know, again, they want to rush these folks out, you know, the the parents of the victims or, you know, the siblings of the victims. And again, you know, they want us to, to, to shout forgiveness from the pulpit to the press conference. And, you know, again, I'm just looking at it all and, I understand why, you know, people are leaving the church because, you know, many of their needs are not being met because, again, many of these churches do not offer the food pantries anymore. Many of them are not offering the LIHEAP program. And that's why I look at some of the people in a secular program that want to totally decimate the churches, but you ain't got no office. They don't want you allowing your relatives to have their funerals at churches. Well, what the hell? We're going to have it at your house? No? Then what? See, you can't take stuff away from people and not have anything there to replace it. And, you know, the church is a business, but it's more so a business than a church nowadays. And they're trying to figure out how to line their pockets up. And it's turned into the good old boy network for a lot of these black pastors and, you know, ministers. And and it's, 
is sad, and these leaders as well, because I can't leave them out because with Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and a number of them, they don't have churches, but they will send that donation, you know, basket around. That's why they were booed out of Ferguson. And so, you know, you'll have them out here, and it's the good old boy network. You know, if for a while, you know, a lot of these black preachers were trying to own their own malls because you had people like Bill Winston with their own malls and opening banks and credit unions. I need you all to pay attention to these things. And then it's about who has the best jets and who has who's flying from one location in Chicago to Alabama to New York, you know, to Atlanta, you know, because they have congregations in all those cities, so they have to go and preach in all those cities, you know, on every Sunday or every other Sunday or however they, you know, schedule that. All on your money. Money that you could have invested back into yourself and back into your communities and, most importantly, back into your families and your children or even your nieces and nephews if you don't have any children or other children in the neighborhood that need help. And, you know, this is not being addressed, but, you know, they're making it rain for Jesus, right? And it seems like the the, the only people at that party are the pastors, the leaders, you know, these musicians and these people who are receiving the bulk of the money. Yet the needs of their communities are not being filled, and yet they are not even talking about or preaching about the issues happening in the community. I want you, I want you to think about something. The majority of these churches, especially some of these megachurch, you know, megachurches, they are in the middle of educationally, of educational disadvantaged communities, income disadvantaged communities. Why is that? They pay no taxes. Many of them have a vast portfolio of real estate. They pay no taxes on that either. So where is the money going? Because, you know, as, as you know, they like to talk about the anointing how the anointing goes from the head to the foot. That should also, you know, include the money. And the people at the bottom are not benefiting from that. And, you know, unfortunately, with some of these churches, the people that are benefiting from some of the programs are just the other church members. Sometimes they don't even help the people in the community. And then they wonder why the people in the community have a problem with them. You know, you see people now going into these churches and causing a ruckus to bring attention to the fact that these churches are not helping the people. And you're going to see more and more of that happening. But, you know, for the most part, some of these pastors don't care. Why? Because they're getting their money from these politicians. They're getting their money from people who are not members of the church. They're doing fine. It's the rest of us that are hurting. But they're going to pray for you, right? Oh, you're not doing well, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. We're going to put you on the prayer list. And if you are one of the members of the church and you are in a position of leadership and things happen, people lose their jobs, you know, people die, and, you know, here you go, you have a $20,000 bill because you got to pay for the funeral and all of that, just a number of shit happens. 
And if you're in a position of leadership at a church and you have to go to that church, especially these mega churches, and you ask for help, they sit you that they sit you down saying that you are a bad steward of God's money. But what about them? If they are such a good steward of God's money and all of this prosperity is happening, why aren't they standing at the doors of the church after they let out service and handing out money to the people? Since they are sowing into good ground and they are good stewards of God's money, they should be making it rain for the people, but they're not. And so I need for you guys to pay attention and see what's happening, what's happening, how it's influencing your pastors, how their messages, you know, the ministry has changed. And, you know, and I hate to say this, you know, but when I look at Bloomberg and Trump, Bloomberg is a lot worse than Trump. And I just have to say that. He's just a little smarter than Trump. He doesn't, you know, well, I can't even say that because <laughs> I'm glad he did these talks and these interviews and all of that information came out. So, yes, he does have a big mouth just like Trump, but he's a little smarter than Trump, you know, so it's a little bit more insidious. And to me, he's more dangerous. And so, you know, you have people who are challenging folks like me and others who are saying that we will not go out to vote if Bloomberg is the nominee, and they're like, well, you're going to get four more years of Trump. Same difference to us. As I stated before, you know, I said it last Sunday, but on numerous shows over the years, black and brown people are pretty much fucked, and red people too. It's just that one is going to fuck us with KY, and the other one is going to fuck us wrong, period. And so at this point, you know, again, I'd rather just see the house burn. And I'm going to say something, and this is going to be controversial, but I don't care. But if I had to choose between Trump and Bloomberg, I think we'll fare better under Trump. And I know some of you are like, ooh, no, not ooh, some like, this bitch crazy. Well, crazy I'll be. You know, there are different schools of thought on my craziness, and I'm okay with that, right? But with Bloomberg... And the examples that he set, see, this is the thing. This is not things that he's just, you know, pontificating, you know, off the top of his head. These are things that he did. And you need to pay attention to his actions. And the fact that he's pretty much an unrepentant asshole, that hasn't changed. He still believes in stop and frisk. He just wants to do it quietly now. And once he's in office, he's going to be able to buy himself into, you know, re-election. And see, this is a slippery, a very dangerous slippery slope that we're on because Trump bought the presidency. Now Bloomberg is going to buy it. And it's at a point now that your regular <laughs> your regular candidates, you know, these millionaires, multimillionaires that are running for office, they can't even afford it anymore. So it's part of the billionaires club. And again, the trillionaire class is here. Um, Jeff Bezos is going to be the first American trillionaire. He is on course. And it's going to turn into the billionaire trillionaire club because they're going to be the only ones who can afford to run for these offices or they can just purchase it. They can out-purchase everyone. You need to be concerned about that. These are oligarchs. 
You know, and people get upset with Nina Turner because she called Bloomberg an oligarch, but that is what he is. Same thing with the Cheddar Tater Tot. We need you guys to start looking these things up. You know, and um, it's unfortunate what's happening to Warren and Sanders. You know, because I think Warren, I think she's, you know, pretty honest. And I believe she, between her and Sanders, she will be the one to implement it. You know, or implement the most of what she's saying that she's going to put out there. And with Sanders, you know, again, you know, it seems as though he wants to get inside the office so he can open the doors from the inside. Because we've been trying to open those doors. We've been trying to tear those walls down and, and you know. Guys, money isn't everything. Money isn't everything. And for those of you that are of faith, you know, you have your pastors telling you to pray about it and and to allow God to deal with the situation and, and that you should listen to them while they influence you to go and vote for someone who does not have your best interest at heart. And, I mean, the same thing over with the Republican side as well. You know, Donald Trump, he don't give a damn about these poor, you know, white people. He doesn't give a damn about working class white people or middle class white people. You know, and I said last week, and I want to state it again, when you hear the media talk about middle class and working class people, they are talking about white folks. Because with the New Deal, which helped to establish and create and fortify the middle class, that was for white people. They never intended on giving the money to the black community. Now with FDR, you know, I believe he wanted to help black people, but in order to get the New Deal passed, he had to work with the Democrats, the Dixiecrats. So I posted an article, and it was talking about the Democrats and how, you know, they talked about the Democrats in their racist past and how they were the party of the Klan and all of that, and that's true. And what's happening with the Democrats now, especially with the ones that are trying to court the people who voted for the Cheddar Tater Tot, what's happening is the Democratic Party is actually moving more and more to the right. And so people are like, what's happening? Why is that happening? They're going back to their roots. And, you know, these conversations are not being had loudly enough because they're being had. But the people in the back of the room ain't hearing it because it's not being amplified. So they're moving back to their roots. And you just need to pay attention because even Barack Obama was Republican light. Buttigieg is Republican light as well. So is Klobuchar. I won't vote for her either. You know, and and. Biden, huh? you know, again, between Biden and Bloomberg and their racist quotes, as a matter of fact, you know what? I think I want to read you some of um, Buttigieg's quotes from over the years, right? And, you know, I mean, should I give it that much, you know, should, should I give it that much attention? You know, but, you know, he has said some old fucked up shit over the years. You know, there was an article going around, I want you to pay attention. You know, he had a woman staff member, and she was having a hard trying, hard time, you know, getting babysitters, you know, daycare for her child. And he basically yelled at her 
and go told her to find some black that can barely speak English to basically babysit her kid, you know, and what do you say? He said kids, all they do is, you know, eat and shit, basically. And how hard is it? All the, you know, the, the barely English-speaking black woman has to do is save the baby from a damn burning building. You know, and um, he he will not allow the women that have made allegations against him, and he's settled. He had them sign non-disclosure agreements, and he will not allow these women to to speak out now that he's running for president. And it was interesting because someone was talking to Kellyanne Conway about it, and Kellyanne was like, well, why won't he let them talk? The same reason why Trump won't let those other women talk. But as I've stated before, non-disclosure agreements are hard to enforce. But when you're dealing with someone that's moneyed, like Bloomberg and the Cheddar Tater Tot, you know, they know they're not going to win the court case. But it's not about winning. It's about dragging you through court and spending up all of your money, money that you don't have. And this is one of the reasons why I talk about, you know, the price of justice. Getting justice is expensive. For the gains that black people, you know, have made in this country, which they really didn't make or keep, they didn't get get a chance to keep, you know, this justice, because what they do is on the front end, they'll give you one or two things, and on the back end, they'll take away 10 or 20. So we're in even an even worse position. And, you know, um, justice costs. How much do you think it costs for Brown versus the Board of Education? You know, Plessy versus Ferguson. Come on now. It costs a lot of money to advance a case to the Supreme Court. Someone has to pay those lawyers and their fees. You know, and and if it's you, you have to take time off from work to go to court to be there. Most people can't afford that, especially black and brown and red people. So, you know, again, it costs. And so, you know, um, some of the the stop and frisk quotes from Bloomberg, 95% of murders, murderers and murders, victims fit one MO, right, method of operation. You can just take a description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. And basically he was talking about black and brown people, and he said that to the Aspen Institute in 2015. And it was that specific talk, you know, in 2015 that Benjamin Dixon got a copy of and exposed. And that's what blew a lot of this up. I mean, it was already out there, but that really, you know, was incendiary. And, you know, you had the Bloomberg people accusing basically Benjamin Dixon of being a Trump operative, but Benjamin Dixon is actually supporting Sanders, right? And I'll just give you all the name of the article. You can go and read it for yourself because I don't have to sit here and read this to you, but it's Michael Bloomberg's most racist quotes, stop and frisk, redlining, and worse in his own words. And this was released on February 13th. This is on News One, and it was written by Bruce C.T. Wright. So go and look that up yourself. I'll post it a little bit later as well. I'll put it on a Reddit, and I'll put it on my personal page and the Black Free Thinkers and People of Color page and tweet it out. But, um, you know, you know, this guy, you know, with the sexual harassment, just a number of things, you know, to a certain degree, as I've stated, he's no different than the cheddar tater tot. 
And he's a Republican. I mean, he ran as a Republican. He lost. You know, and then he ran as an independent. And, you know, now he's running as a Democrat. And I need you guys to be cognizant of what's happening to you and how you are yet being further exploited and manipulated, and not only by the mass media, because, again, the reason why we're in this position as far as the presidential candidates are concerned is because of the media. You know, that little circus they put on with the cheddar tater tie. In 2015 and 2016, all of the free press that he got then, and even that he receives now, is not quite as bad now as it had been, but it was still ridiculous, and that is why he is there. You know, and you have people out here who are trying to say that Barack Obama is the reason why the Cheddar Tater Tot win and won, and, and that's not true. That is not true. And I posted an article, and, you know, I really, really ask that you go and read this. The people who are saying that once the cheddar tater tot is kicked out of office, things will be fine and things will go back to normal. Normal for hope, because things were bad even before the cheddar tater tot was elected. So better for whom? I guess that's the better question. Because for, you know, the black and brown organizers and activists, those of us that are out here, we see beyond that. We see beyond because, you know, Donald Trump is not the problem. He's one of the symptoms, but he is not the problem in and of itself. And so when he leaves office, shit ain't going to change. And the Democrats wanted to go back to the way it was. They want the status quo, which is why they are so afraid of Warren and Sanders. Now, you know, and you know, you have people out here. I even see black and brown people talking about how Warren and Sanders are too radical. Well, almost every change that's happened in this country, things that are normalized now were once considered radical. Unemployment benefits or insurance was once considered radical. Social Security was once considered radical. Food stamps, link, whatever you want to call it, was once considered radical. And now they're normal. You know, breakfast programs for the children were once considered radical. That was started by the Black Panther Party. And then you had people like Shirley Chisholm who were able to take that particular program and put it on you know, and, and present it nationwide and put it before Congress, you know, construct a bill and construct laws in place so that breakfast would be served to children across the United States of America. So she was able to give it a national platform because I posted an article and they were talking about Shirley Chisholm and, you know, the breakfast program for schools. And we had people saying, well, I thought the Black Panthers started that. They did. And she gave it a platform, a national platform, you know. So a lot of things, you know, that were happening, community community health clinics, Black Panther Party. So, you know, and now, you know, you see this happening, you know, all over the nation. You have these community clinics. Even when Barack Obama was in office with the Affordable Care Act, and the way they were trying to establish these clinics in these communities. And, you know, they're there. 
you know, unfortunately, you know, you have a lot of, you know, the money is passed to the states, and they've been closing down a lot of these community clinics, especially some of the community mental health care facilities. That is why you saw them fighting, you know, for dear life in Chicago, because a lot of people were impacted by not having that care, not having those facilities available in the money. And also, I was talking about how the money comes from the federal government and is pushed down to the states. In the state of Mississippi, a number of officials and, you know, employees, state employees were arrested because they were embezzling the money. It's not just in Mississippi. It's happening all over this country. See, what's happening with, you know, public aid and even with the Section 8 and the food stamps, the federal government is still passing, you know, the same amount of money to these states. What's happening is that the states are now cutting off the programs and pushing people off the programs because then they're able to do whatever they want with that money, which is fund some of their pet programs. That's how we got the bridge to nowhere. And a number of, and so I just need you guys to understand, you know, and some people did not have civics classes in high school. And, and, and some of the ones that did have civics classes, you know, they were not taught many of these things. And so that's why I think this show and many shows like mine are important for you guys to listen to and to understand. And like I tell you guys, I want you to research and verify what's coming out of my mouth. Trust but verify. You know, and I'm sending you down a rabbit hole on purpose because I want you to find, I want you to learn, I want you to understand. You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have the entire alphabet behind your name to be educated, to educate yourself. You can be an autodidact, which is self-learned, self-taught. You know, I have more books than I'll ever be able to read. You know, and, you know, not only the digital books, but the physical books. I mean, in my storage room, I probably have at least seven, 800 books out there alone. And, you know, and I have about three, 400 books in the house with me now, you know, and I read and I read and I read. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm putting together this documentary. I have a lot of great ideas for different documentaries. And, you know, I want to do a little web series, but I'd rather do the documentaries because, you know, that, that will force me to do the scholarship. It'll force me to do the research. And once I'm reading it and, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is still happening even to this day, you know, um, so for those that want to donate, so seriously, you know, Raina gets on my case all the time. But, yeah, you know, we are taking donations, you know, for, like, documentaries. And, you know, Raina's, you know, encouraging me. Her and Jen are encouraging me to write the books, you know, that I have ideas for. And it's a couple of programs that I want to put together, you know. But the past couple of years have been hard because, you know, again, getting my mom through the chemo, being there for her, 100% that last year, moving back home, being there for every chemo treatment, you know, taking her to the grocery store, grocery shopping for her. And in some cases, when I was even too tired to go out, you know, shopping for it online and having them deliver it to her house, you know, that was that was a great honor to me, to be able to be there and to serve my mother in her time of need. And, you know, that woman, when she when she passed on, she knew she was loved, not only by me, but by the family, you know, when she would have 
um, you know, the consultations with the cancer doctors, the whole family would show up, you know, all five of her children, you know, her sisters, you know, and, and, you know, her nieces and nephews, we were there. That lady knew she was loved, you know, and that was important to me. But, you know, if you want to donate, you know, you can go to paypal.me slash blackfreethinkers, spell it out, um, on cash app, dollar sign, blackfreethinkers, spell it out. On Venmo is Black Free Thinkers as well. So, you know, we definitely were taking donations. If you feel, you know, compelled to send a few dollars, thank you so very much. You know, most of my things are basically um, self-financed. And, you know, that's all well and good, but I want to bring you better things. I want to bring you better quality information. I want to bring you better quality documentaries. But most importantly, I want to make sure that we control our narrative, that I continue to control my narrative. Because one of my biggest fears, you know, as far as accepting donations from certain people, especially white organizations, you know, they want to have some influence over your project, over what you're saying and what you're presenting. One of the very last lessons that my mom taught me, because she was able to impart a lot into me before she passed away, but one of the, the biggest lessons that she imparted to me in her last you know, weeks was, Kim, white people don't mind you knowing about these things, but they do have a problem with you telling others about it. And that's the truth. And I want to be able to tell our stories. So, you know, when I, you know, I had started this a few minutes ago, but, you know, some of the things that were happening, if you go back and you read about Reconstruction and specifically about the Black Codes, the Black Codes were laws, you know, that were passed in the South to basically re-enslave Black people. But it wasn't just relegated to the South. It was happening in the North as well. So I know some people, you get upset and angry by the stuff that I post online. You know, you think it's boring because who wants to read that much? Look, I post those things to help you. Having that knowledge, having that understanding, you know, having that education, that is power. That is real power. At the end of the day, they cannot take your mind. They cannot take your intellect. They cannot take that knowledge from you. They can take your car. They can take your house. They can take your woman, your man, whatever. But they won't be able to take that knowledge. But you, you will be able to stand there toe-to-toe with anybody and hold your own and know that you're telling the truth. And, you know, and it's important I see we have a caller, you know, that wants to speak now. I'm going to go ahead and pull them into the conversation. But, oh, but before I do that, but again, going back to the black codes that were placed in, you know, um, laws, you know, from the South, it's important for you guys to understand that because some of those same codes, some of the same Jim Crow laws are still being implemented now. It's just being implemented by another name. You know, as far as the redlining and the housing and not being able to have access to, you know, like certain things like the GI Bill. That was once considered radical. And, again, you know, 95% of it went to white 
military men, not the black ones. They they did everything that they could to not include the, to the black and brown military, you know, um, officers or, you know, soldiers or, you know, enlistees, what have you. They did everything that they could not to allow them to have a GI Bill, not to allow them to get the loans and the mortgages for their homes. And that's why I was pushed to the states because the states were able to administer it and to discriminate. And the same thing is happening now with the programs that I was talking about, the link and, you know, the public aid and the Section 8 and all of that. There are a lot of black and brown people being even further disenfranchised because they're being kicked out of those programs. So let's go ahead and pull the caller into the conversation. 864, may we ask your name and what would you like to talk about? Peace and power. Uh, my name is Equinee, and I'm calling from South Carolina. And I'm going to call in yes, the name sir. of Black Power. I'm not going to be ashamed of uh, lifting up the name of our people, our heritage, That's and right. also the greatness of who we are. So how are you, sis? I am doing quite well. And yourself, sir? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So go ahead. Uh, well, making it rain for Jesus, right? Yeah, <laughs> making it rain for Jesus. Uh, that's 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 where we are. We we've, we've been making it rain for Jesus uh, quite some time. And even when you're looking at uh, the making it rain mentality, uh, it is the mentality when uh, a man or what you know, some people might say, what is making it rain? What is that that cliche that's being thrown around? But making it rain is when uh, men. And also women nowadays uh, who right. favor strippers uh, visit or frequent the strip club, and they take uh, a lot of money and throw it up in the air all at one time, right? And is 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 pretty much like it's it's a pretty much an, a, a very ignorant act when you're speaking about us as black people, us being at the bottom of uh, the totem pole when it comes down to financial institutions, us being able to control and have uh, business um, in the face of a known enemy, right? Right, right? You, right. You spoke about a known enemy, and we, we shouldn't be so naive where we are thinking that, hey, we are free or we in a new day or we all the same. No, don't fool yourself. Um, right. But I will say, uh, in the making it rain mentality, we must question ourselves uh, because me, myself, as a young man, I visited the strip club uh, many of times, right? And I didn't, I'm not going to say I had a, because one time I, I'm going to just share this with everybody. One time I had $100 worth of one and I had attempted and I thought I was going to quote unquote make it, make it rain and that's when you throw it all up at one time and it's, then it's just gone. This is what the quote-unquote ballers do. And mm-hmm. I had got the, the $100 in one, but I'm a tight behind person, so I looked at those $100 and I put them right back in my pocket, which <laughs> uh, it, it never made it to the to the raining part, so I guess mine was just an overcast. It didn't never rain. <laughs> so, okay. uh, but the reality is, the reality is that there have been a lot of people that have gone to the strip club and leave all their money there and walk out and go back home with nothing, no food, mm-hmm. no appliances, no gifts to take home to the family, right? 
You go back home right. empty-handed. And this is basically the same sentiment that I'm getting that, I, you know, again, I'm not in the church now. I'm in African uh, tradition. But I can remember growing, growing up in the church, and I can remember my grandmother giving her last. I can remember me giving my last, you know, to, 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 to tithes or, quote, unquote, making it rain. But we all mm-hmm. still in 2020, um, 2020, we find ourselves, regardless of us being at the bottom of being able to have and possess finances, we are giving all that we have to the exactly. church. Exactly. Right? We're giving all that we have to the church. And we, can we find any jobs at the church? I've never known any. As a matter of fact, I used to work for the church as an usher, as you know, uh, I used to sing on the choir and do other things around the church, but, you, you know, you don't get paid for that. You know, right. it would be great if the money that we are going, that is going into the church is actually utilized to help pay some salaries oh, yeah. of some teachers that are going to be teaching our children. So rather than us have, you know, sending our children to the school, to the school we can send it to the to the church. We can send our children to the church. So the reality oh, is, let's, let's- no matter. Oh, yeah. Now, let's tell the other little secret. While you weren't being paid to be in the choir or the usher, you had to pay for the benefit to being on an usher board and in a choir with monthly dues. So you had to pay for that honor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, that, and that's, that's, that's absolutely right. We aren't getting, we aren't getting paid from, from that. And, 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 and going back into, again, how we feel about ourselves, because this is the main problem is that we have now favored Jesus, the the fictional, and I'm like, again, I used to be in the church, and I'm not taking any shots at anybody that practice, practices Christianity or any Abrahamic religion, but I just encourage us all to raise the roof or the ceiling of our thinking and how we process our problem-thinking skills. You understand? So when we're saying that, hey, I'm going to feed my family just by praying, no, that doesn't work that way. You understand? Right. And just to say that I'm just going to pray, 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 and we are going to get our 40 acres in the mule, that's not going to work. We have to look at what's been the problem, and the church has been one of the main problems. Our deity, our enemy has become our deity. So when we're going to church, I can remember going to church and seeing at the back, while we were listening to the black preacher, but at the back was a was the illustration of Jesus. And if you go to Google or look up Jesus, every illustration is going to be white. So there in the back of our mind, right, we're still coming mm-hmm. out of slavery. We're still coming out of slavery. So this is 100% telling us how documented, this is documented, showing us how the chains are still upon us mentally, spiritually, and also physically, Right. But rather than us talking about lifting up great, powerful discussions about our long-winded seat in in having civilization, we can't even get there because we think Moses was was our actual kin, and we're looking at Pharaoh as being the enemy. In this Bible, with a whole bunch of fictional stories, which in Ecclesiastes it tells you, that Abraham is only an a allegory when talking about his two wives, Sarah and 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 um, Hagar. I think I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I forgot what the You're names right. are. Hagar. But I, oh, mm-hmm. okay, Hagar and, and Sarah, right? But they talked about mm-hmm. those two stories, which is supposed to be some of the beginning lineages of the Bible, right? 
it tells you in the Bible that these things are allegory, right? So these are not right. real things, and our people have basically taken the Esau and Jacob approach where we've let somebody swindle our, our, our um, inheritance. So what is naturally ours, now you have the white man, he's trying to go in and claim our great civilizations because we haven't claimed it. We've been claiming something that hasn't been. We've been claiming Jesus. Jesus don't want to claim us. Jesus is not our kin. This this European, he is not our 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 ancestors. Well, we have plenty of ancestors that have laid the work, laid the foundation in which the European has to copy from what our ancestors did and and they utilized to make their civilizations run fluently. This is what you find in Freemasonry. This is what you find in mm-hmm. the Eastern Star. This is what you find in those uh, sororities and fraternities, those groups that run the world, right? They go behind the wall, and they're learning about protocol, the esoteric sciences that came from us as African black people. So now it's time to stop going through Johnny-come-lately, getting regurgitated food, and going in to get what our ancestors left for us. And then only until then, when we lift up, the greatness in which the creator bestowed upon us via our ancestors. We aren't due to 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 have any uh, positive liberation. We aren't due to come up until we are able to do this simple thing. Go back in and just say, thank you, ancestor. You are my ancestor. I'm proud of you. Rather than saying that, hey, you aren't my ancestor. I want to claim this European. I want to claim this. Like, no, we are we are African. We're black. We're indi- whatever it is we want to call ourselves. We are that, and it's time for us to liberate ourselves. Thank you for the show. This is a great show, sis. Great conversation. Oh, well, thank you, sir. And this article that I had posted a couple of weeks ago that I would ask you as well as the listening audience to go and look it up, but the title of the article is Consequences of Perceiving God as a White Man. And this was written on January 31st of this year. And again, consequences of perceiving God as a white man. And basically right here, the headline is, who people believe rules in heaven influences their beliefs about who rules on earth. And this was a Stanford study. And it was written by Melissa DeWitt. So take a, you know take some time out. Go and look you know that up. And what's interesting, I'm going to put you back on hold, call. You're still on, but I'm just putting you on hold. Um, what's interesting about that is when I posted that one specific article, you know, this white guy came out of the woodwork to to make a comment, and he said, shut up, period, please, period. And that's what I was talking about last week, that there are some people that are Facebook friending me just so that they can, you know, uh, get a chance to make a comment such as that when I post certain articles. And, you know, I end up blocking him because it's like I'm not going to ask any questions, but, you know, I, I need people to pay attention. But, yeah, you know, when he was talking about making it, you know, making it rain right now, again, that's, you know, what I was saying about the Cheddar Tater Tots and Bloomberg specifically, how they're coming to the church and they're basically trying to make it rain for Jesus and, and, and get your votes and buy your votes. And in some cases, you'll have the pastor up there and he'll talk about how, 
you know, um, whatever, you know, they're against. So if they're against abortion or if they're against gay marriage or any of these things, that that person is a man of God. And they used to not say names because I remember when I was going to Bill Winston's church, they handed out these manuals, very expensive colored laminate manuals. You know, well, basically it was like a book showing all of the candidates and, you know, what they stand for. And so he was up there talking about, you know, a man of God, and he didn't say the name, but it was, you know, the inferences were to, you know, George Bush, right? And so um, the whole thing, the whole thing, again, it's about exploiting and manipulating our people, and the caller was correct. We need to utilize critical thinking skills, and that's why I say, you know, I want you to think and live for yourself. It is okay to question things. It's okay to doubt. And, you know, you'll have people say, you know, you don't question God. You know, you're not questioning God. You're you're questioning the people who claim to be mouthpieces for God. You're questioning their, you know, actions and some of their decisions. And it's okay to do that. And if they're trying to shut you down, then you need to be asking why. But also, as I stated before, they're going to be the ones that that receive the majority of the benefits. If anything, you know, they may give you a free cookout during the summer. Maybe they'll give free Christmas dinner, free Easter dinner or whatever. But they're not going to do a lot for that particular, you know, for the people. You know, they may get new pews, you know, or have the floors done in the church or what have you. But that's not necessarily benefiting the people. And, you know, it was interesting when, you know, our caller was talking about, um, you know, serving in the choir, especially if you go to a church that has a recording choir. The choir doesn't receive the benefit from those album sales or CD sales or, you know, downloads. And even when they go and they tour, in many cases, you know, the choir has to pay so much money towards the bus you know, paying a fee to get on the bus to go and sing in, you know, this state, or if they're catching a plane, you know, they have to pay so much money because they're going to get a group rate. But what happens is, you know, with some of these preachers, what they're not telling the choir is that the promoter that's bringing them in to sing has given them money toward the transportation. They don't tell you about that. They give them money towards food for the choir. They give them money towards, you know, these things. But in many cases, they keep the money for themselves. So, again, you know, I don't want to get off into the black church and issues that I have with them, you know, and and how it's changed from the church of yesteryear. Because, you know, the church used to be the focal point of the community because they would help people. They would comfort them. They would, you know, be a place of refuge, a resource, a beacon of light, you know, a help. And it's changed. The message has changed a lot of, you know, their responsibilities or what I feel should be their responsibilities have changed. And this is something I've been saying over the years, and I need for you all to understand this. With this faith-based initiative, what this is is that it is laying the foundation for the federal government to push these, you know, what they call entitlement programs, push it off of the federal role and give it to these churches in these community-based organizations. They don't have the infrastructure or the expertise 
to avail these programs, if you will, to implement these programs, to 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 process the people to keep these programs going. They don't have it. And then where there is no true accounting for it, they're not being held accountable by the IRS. There is no auditing process, none of that. Well, that's where, you know, the abuse comes in. And what happens is they're trying to push it off of the, you know, again, the federal role. And if they're not pushing it to the states, you know, the states are going to be pushing it to the local organizations and churches. And so is the federal government. But they want these programs to fail. And this is why people like Paul Ryan and many of these libertarians and people of that ilk that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, deify people like Ann Rand and folks like that. Very, very selfish. They don't want those programs to work. They want to push you off into these programs. Being able to discriminate is a wet dream for many of these people. They want to see you fail. And they know that there is not going to be any type of, you know, um, accounting or reckoning with these organizations that take that money and use it for anything but what they were supposed to use it for. Who's going to check them? If the IRS and the federal government or the state government doesn't check them, they're running, they have free reign, and the people suffer. So, you know, again, I want you all to pay attention to who you're voting for, what they stand for, but at this point in time, you know, I'd rather watch Rome burn because, you know, we are in worse shape now than we were in 50 years ago. You know, you have some people who, you know, want to claim that things have gotten better. No, it hasn't. They just want you to be civil and polite about it, respectability politics. They want you to smile and genuflect while you're being fucked over. Right? So, huh. We have a long way to go. So quickly, you know, the last few minutes that we got here, I wanted to talk about the making, well, the move of a documentary, you know, about Malcolm X. I'm not sure if you all have had a chance to watch it, but I actually watched it twice, and it was powerful. The whole thing was extremely powerful, how all of that came about. Um, and, and I'm glad that they're reopening the case to look into the assassination of Malcolm X and, you know, the parties that were involved in that. It's important that we get some answers to that to those questions, but also the two men that were wrongfully incarcerated for, you know, the murder of Malcolm X and they didn't do it. You know, I hope that there's some vindication for them and their families. You know, one of the men, he's passed away. The other one, 81, 82 years of age. So, you know, I hope that he's able to see vindication because, you know, again, in the documentary, he says he doesn't believe in the system. And, you know, he's right to not believe in the system. The system was not made for us. We were not meant to have any type of upward mobility. We were not meant to be successful. We were not meant 
to benefit from anything in America. You have people saying that the justice system is broken, that, you know, all of these different systems are broken and laws are broken. They're not broken. They're working exactly the way that they were supposed to work. And when I hear white people saying that this is not the America I know, yeah, it is, because most of you want things to go back to normal, back to, you know, normal the way it was before Trump which still was bad news for black, brown, red, and yellow people. And that's why, you know, I sit back and you hear me talking about the Venn diagram and, you know, when when I'm talking about whiteness. And you have some of these marginalized communities who are invited into the white Venn diagram. And, you know, they develop even more anti-blackness. And, you know, I put up an article talking about how some black Puerto Ricans claim white white in the census. And, you know, but look at how Puerto Rico is being treated. You know, and even when the black Puerto Ricans come to the mainland, come over here to America, you know, they don't look at you as an Afro-Latino. They don't see you as white, you know, even though you've been invited to the program. They still see you as black. And you're treated as such, you know, and one of the things that I warned about with some of these, you know, documented immigrants was when they were out here, you know, yelling and and marching, you know, and even some of the black and brown people out here marching with the MAGA folks, you know, in regards to immigration, you know, not only are they sending the undocumented ones back, they're sending the documented ones back as well. You know, you have, you know, Latinx folks that have served in the military, in the American military, and they're being deported left and right. You know, some of the undocumented people that are being sent back, they're being sent to countries and cities that they've never been to that they're not from, but it's just easier for the government to send them to those places. And these people are coming up missing. They're being killed. Just the number of atrocities that are happening that's not receiving the media that it deserves. So I want you to keep that in mind as well. But again, dear black church, making it rain for Jesus, none of that is going to save us. None of that is going to liberate us. Again, you know, these people are handing out money, but they're not trying to change laws and policies. You need to be asking why. Again, you know, we still have this issue with wealth inequality. These few dollars that they're giving you, that's not going to change anything. That's not going to close that gap. That's not going to make life overall better for you. Because, again, you know, salaries, wages in this country have been stagnant for the last 50 years. And, you know, um, when Obama was in office, they were calling it the Great Recession. Well, we've been in a Great Depression, and it's been around for a long time, which is why you see some of us sitting back and watching and waiting for the stock market to crash. Now, it's not necessarily crashing per se. It's readjusting to the levels where it should be. But it's going to be a lot of people hurt. And primarily, it's going to be black, brown, and red people that, that you know, receive the brunt of the hurt, if you will. Even though most of us don't have money invested in the stock market, so, you know, you're like, well, I'm not invested in it, so it's not going to, you know, affect me. Yeah, it's going to affect your 401k. If you have one of those, it's going to affect, you know, um, you know, the housing prices, so, the, you know, whatever 
value your home has. And in black and brown communities, you know, they have been undervaluing, you know, our property and our homes, which is, you know, what also contributes to the wealth inequality. So I just want you to go out and educate yourself on these things and know we're not in a better place. But when it comes down to Buttigieg, Biden, Bloomberg, you know, Klobuchar, and let me see who else is on that list, Steyer, I'm just not going to do it. And, you know, and I believe it's really going to come down to Bloomberg being named the DNC nominee. And I believe they're going to steal it from Sanders or Warren and give it to Bloomberg, and it's going to be a vicious fight on the floor of that convention. And, again, you know, they have Bloomberg out here saying that he may make Hillary his vice president pick, right? Like, that's supposed to entice people to vote for him even more. You know, um, Hillary and Bill Clinton harmed black and brown and red communities more than what most people realize. You know, we've talked about it. I've talked about it till I was blue in the face. But considering what's happening and how the information isn't being passed down, because, again, the people in the back of the room, they're not getting the message. They're not hearing the message. They're not getting the information. We're going to go out here and we're going to have to, you know, tell them, not only on social media, because, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, are saying these things on social media. It's the people who aren't on social media who aren't hearing the message. So you need to start talking to people. You need to tell them about what's happening. Show it to them because many of them do not know. So here we go. Again, you know, if you all want to make some contributions to the show, you can send it to me via PayPal, Black Free Thinkers, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. For cash out, dollar Black Free Thinkers, for Venmo, Black Free Thinkers, so that we can, you know, put together some of these things that we want to put out here. Like I said, it's going to be a new podcast that I'm going to be launching, and it's a couple of other projects besides documentaries that I want to put together. I know I won't be able to put them all together this year, but at least putting things in place and getting the ball rolling, that's half the battle. So, again, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We are Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye and Candace Owens or Daryl Scott. People of that ilk, we're not those kinds of free thinkers. We are Black Free Thinkers. We are for Black people. We are pro-Black. All right, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and thank you for your support. Take care. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.